this, you should never follow children and animals. Is that right? Well, in preaching world, you should never follow David Williams. That guy gives killer announcements. Killer. <laughs> Thanks, Dallas, for the laugh. Uh, 2018, welcome uh, to this uh, year of 2018. And as, as David uh, has put it, I think that all of us feel this sense of excitement about this upcoming year. I think this new eldership that we have this past year, it's, it's a great group of men and a great group of shepherding couples that have gathered together that are going to lead this church body. Uh, our ministry staff, we kind of have our areas that we're going to really focus on and work hard for in this 2018 year. And uh, I just have this feeling, you know, this feeling that it's going to be a fantastic year uh, for this church body. And uh, as... As David said, I think these next coming weeks are going to be important and special. Mike Young is going to be preaching next Sunday. And if you ever heard him preach, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, he's a smart man. And there'll be Bible class and another sermon. And uh, together we're going to journey through this and start this year off strong. But today I kind of want to start, kick us off in the first sermon of 2018. To kind of present a vision for this upcoming year. And as I've gotten older and wiser in my older years of life, I've come to, uh, <laughs> I've come to value the power of words. Words create meaning. And having that right word can change everything. There's those words that just articulate exactly what you want to say. There's words that just, when you say it, it just allows you to understand the meaning, the context, and, and feel what it is that you want to communicate. And if, if any of you uh, have, have been a writer or a speaker, you know the power of words. I mean, there's a, a quote by 17th century poet, orator, priest, George Herbert. He says that good words are worth much, and they cost little. And then peanuts... You know Snoopy? You didn't know, but he's also a writer. And this is one of my favorite comics here. Well, we have two, uh, two slides we need to show. Here it is. The dot, dot, dot. A good writer will sometimes search hours for just the right word. Words create meaning. Words are valuable. They're precious. How many of you have ever tried to learn a new language? Sometimes, in, in those who have tried to learn a different language know the power of words. I mean, there are sometimes different languages in German, Italian, Spanish, the Thai. There are some words in their vocabulary that really pinpoint an emotion that the English language cannot capture. I know in the Spanish language, there's a word that I've grown to love. It's aprovechar. Aprovechar. And that word means to take advantage of. But it's not the kind of advantage that we think of in, in English where it's a, it's a negative thing where you're taking advantage of somebody. Aprovechar is almost like, hey, then let's live it up. Let's take advantage of this moment. Let's, this is a good thing. Let's get as much of it as we can. We don't really have that word in English, but aprovechar is a, is, a, is a beautiful word that really communicates something beautiful. Also, those who have learned new languages can also tell that having the wrong word can create lots of confusion. <laughs> You know, for example, one time when I was living in Peru and I was beginning learning Spanish and my vocabulary was growing daily, and Tara sent me to the grocery store to buy these green peas. 
And these green peas in Spanish are called hadas. No, I'm sorry, they're called abas. <laughs> this is why I got in the problem in the first place. Abas, H-A-B-A-S, abas. So I went to the grocery store with my list, and I had this green pea on there, and I couldn't find it. And so I wanted to talk to the grocery guy about where I could find these abas, but I chose the wrong word. Instead of abas, I, I, I used adas, H-A-D-A-S. Does anybody know what that word means in Spanish? Adas. Well, it means fairy, like Tinkerbell fairy. <laughs> fairy. So here's how the conversation went in this grocery store in Peru. Translated. Hey, uh, I'm looking for the fairies. Where can I find them? <laughs> he was packing something, he stopped and said, fairies? Yeah, fairies. Where can I find the fairies? You're, you're looking for fairies? <laughs> Say, yeah, it's, it's on my list here. I have bananas, I have oranges, and I have fairies. Where can I find the fairies? And he's just so confused. And so he calls over to his coworker across the grocery store. Hey, Javier! Javier, come over here. So Javier comes over. Hey, Javier, do, do we sell fairies here? And, and I'm getting a little frustrated. It's like, I, all I need are these fairies, and I can go home. <laughs> Could you just tell me where these fairies are, these peeled fairies? And when I said peeled fairies, he said, oh, are you talking about, are you talking about Abbas? And it dawned on me that I had missed this word, and it communicated in, insufficiently. And, uh, and so he said, oh, yeah, the Abbas are over here. Here are the peas. One time in, in Thailand, this is another funny story about a word choice that was wrong. You know, my dad was a missionary in Thailand growing up. And Thailand's a tonal language, so one word can have five different meanings based upon the tone of your voice. It's a very difficult uh, language to master, but he was up giving announcements, and it was an announcement for an engagement party for a couple that had just gotten engaged. And he wanted to, to invite this couple to this engagement party where there's going to be pictures and where there's going to be videos and they're going to celebrate together this momentous occasion. Well, he noticed when he was making this announcement, some snickering in the, the audience, and uh, people started to kind of laugh a little bit, and he sat down, and he looked at the guy next to him and said, what did I say? And the word for engagement in Thai is man, man. But he chose the lower tone, man, which meant vasectomy. <laughs> so he had just invited the whole church to this guy's vasectomy party with pictures and videos. <laughs> words are important. Words create meaning. And if you have the wrong word, it can be very confusing. And for the 2018 year, we really wanted to think about what word we could just focus on that would align us as a church family, that would focus our, our, our efforts. And the word that we came up with uh, for this year, for 2018, is home. Home. That's the word that we'd like to focus on for this year of 2018, a word that can drive what we do. It could focus our, our, our home groups, what happens on a Wednesday night, getting together outside of the Sunday morning. Home is the word that we want to focus on this year as a church body and live and embody. Home is, is such a beautiful word. Let's, let's play with this word a little bit. Home. 
What do you think of when you hear this word? Family? What are the feelings and emotions that are attached to this word? It, it feels good. Home, home means community. Home means feeling a part of something. Home is, means being a, a part of something bigger than yourself. Feeling, being yourself without having to, to pretend. Home smells good, doesn't it? Just smell it, that word. Home smells good. It smells like fire in the fireplace. It smells like a nice cooked banana bread that's coming out of the oven. Home just feels good. It sounds right. It, it brings us into a center. And really to understand through the power of this word home, we can also look at the opposite of home. What is it when you don't have a home? Homeless. Let's toy with this word for a little bit. Homeless is, is dark. You think of isolation. You think cold. You think alone. You think danger. I just can't imagine thinking of, of this word homeless with these cold nights that we've had in Dallas that have been below freezing. And just thinking about people without a home who are outside in the cold. Homeless is a terrible word. It smells bad. Homeless, you just smell that word. It just smells, it, it's, it smells rough, it, it smells alone, it smells like smoke. And I think that if we're speaking in the, live, in the world of spirituality, in spiritual terms, if you look at where we are as a church body nationwide in 2018, I think it would be safe to assume that there are a lot of people who are spiritually homeless. There are people who don't have a spiritual home. People who are trying to fight this battle of life alone. I mean, the same words that you think about homeless can go with spiritual homeless too. It's isolated. It's, it's dangerous. It's, you're not centered. You're, you're away. It smells bad. There is a famous story in the New Testament that talks about this idea of home and homelessness. It's one of the most famous parables told by Jesus, the parable of the lost son, the parable of, uh, in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son is also what this parable is called. And if I could, I'd invite you to open your Bibles right now to Luke chapter 15, and let's read this story together and kind of play with this idea of home and homelessness. As we look at to this word for 2018, and what can we learn as a church body about what is it that a spiritual home looks like? What are the details? What, what are the characteristics? Luke chapter 15. Let's start in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. A younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Let's pause right here. I'm sure you've heard tons and tons of sermons over the years about this particular passage. But this right here is a, a legitimate insult to his father. He is pretty much telling his father, I want you dead. I care more about what you can give me than I care about you. And by asking his father for the inheritance, he was wishing that his father had already died. And in this culture, in this heritage as it was, the firstborn son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, and he would get one-third of the inheritance. 
And in that time and age, it wasn't like they had a stock portfolio. The, their value was in, on land. And so for the father to carry this out, he had to go, he had to sell a third of his land. And he did it. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, the money from the sale from this land, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I don't know if this man was homeless. I mean, maybe he had a house that he was able to live in to work. Maybe this owner was able to provide him a roof over his head, but there are a lot of characteristics of how he's feeling that just, think, just makes me think of this word homeless. He felt alone. He felt isolated. He felt scared and he longed for his to be home with his father and it teaches me that everybody wants a home everybody is looking for a spiritual for a home everybody needs a home nobody really wants to be homeless usually it's by circumstance or by systemic injustice or there are things that happen that cause people to be homeless but no one really wants to be, be there. Neither did he. In verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You see here, it's, a, it's key. It's some humility. It's a repentance. It's a change in mindset. 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now this right here to us, we can just read it. We've read it many times. But for the audience of this day to hear what this Middle Eastern father was doing was a total change in what their perception of what a Middle Eastern father would do. A Middle Eastern father would never run. A Middle Eastern father at that, in this time and age would never show such emotion. And in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God more than, than anyone else as father. He prays to God as the father. And here we see a depiction of a father that in some ways looks more like a mother. In the Middle Eastern times, running. And I believe this is the only time where we see a, a, a God-like, a type, uh, you know, it's a parable of God where he's running, where God ran. And it's, it's an amazing character. It's, it's totally flipped it on its head of what a, a man father would do at that time. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. And we can read between the lines, he didn't shower first. And this robe was probably belonged to the father. He took his best robe 
and put it on him without even cleaning up. He still probably had the smell of pigs on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father was killed, has killed the fattened calf because he, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What does this incredible story teach us about home? What does it teach teach us about spiritual homes? Well, first and foremost, this story really hits home in the fact that home is belonging. Home is belonging. That's what home is. It's sitting around a table that you know that you belong in. It's not being afraid to be who you are. And in this story, the story of the prodigal son, it illustrates that no one is too far away from belonging. That whatever you've done, how how bad it is, how far away you've run away from the church, how far away you've run away from God, that in humility, there's always a place for you here. Home is belonging. And for the 2018 year, we want to communicate through our actions and through our way that, that that we preach and teach that everyone belongs. Every single person belongs. Look to the person next to you. And say, you belong. (laughs) It's true. You belong. And you know what's crazy about this story? And here is, and if I could go more in this, I think it it might be a sermon in the future. Because this is a really amazing point. But I think they named this parable wrong. They named it a long time ago. For hundreds of years, it's been known as the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But really, this is a story about two sons. It's a story about the older son, and it's a story about the younger son. And it's an amazing contrast if you, you, you compare these two together. And if you look at the words of Jesus, he is totally stripping away religious ideology. In fact, it's no wonder that for the first 200 years, the Romans considered the Christian movement anti-God as atheists. Because what... Jesus is doing is he's stripping away all, every single religious notion that we as humans can come up with. And he's saying that it's wrong. That the way we view God is wrong. That the way that we view how we get to God and commune with God is wrong. 
Because that second brother, the older brother, he is upset. He is upset that his brother got all this party and he didn't. And what does he say to his father? Look, father, what all I have done for you, I have never disobeyed you. I have been here by your side. I've come to church every Sunday. I've given my 10%. I deserve something back. And then look what the father says. The father looks at him and says, you have always been with me. And everything that I have is yours. Communicates that their belonging doesn't have to do with, with his works. That he couldn't earn his belongings. That by being faithful and by being true, by being by his father, it didn't earn him a place at his father's table. The reason he was at his father's table is because he was the son of the father. It had nothing to do with what he did. Nothing to do with it. And I think that's, that's another point of we all belong. Those of us who have been in church from nine months before we were born to those of us who are here for the first time today, this message is clear that you belong. Jesus is telling you that you belong here. Number two is that home is being present, showing up. Do you realize how, how special that dad felt? In the story, when all of his kids were together, you know, I, I felt that as a father. There's something special when the kids are in their beds, and you kind of lock every door in the house, and you know that everybody is kind of under that same roof. You just kind of feel, you feel at peace. You feel like things are right in the world. You know, that's why holidays are such an important time, when people from all over the world gather together for one day and Christmas and Thanksgiving to celebrate together. People who live in Georgia, New York, gathering together to celebrate the family. There's something special about all the siblings getting together. I learned this the hard way. You know, Tara, we have, I have a wonderful in-law family. <laughs> and, uh, but 2006 is known as the year that John Mark ruined Christmas. Uh, it's, it's still today, known as the year that John Mark ruined Christmas. You see, it was the year in 2006 where, where we were going to gather together. We were about to go to Peru for several years. Uh, Tara's brother was in the military. He was about to be deployed. And Tara's mom knew that this was the last time in several years where the whole family could get together under one roof. The only problem was is that Texas A&M was playing a bowl game in San Diego the day before Christmas. And so I wanted to go to the bowl game, and I timed my flights properly to where I could finish the bowl game, go to the airport, and then fly just in time for Christmas to start. Well, wouldn't you know, my luck is that on that day there was weather problems, and I couldn't fly into Dallas, and I was stuck in Houston uh, connecting flight, and I missed Christmas. And Tara's mom was devastated, <laughs> my mother-in-law was devastated, and my brother-in-law loves to rub it in, that this is the year that I ruined Christmas. They took a family photo, and uh, here it is, uh, of Tara's family. And I wasn't there, so they took a paper plate, and they drew a photo of my face. <laughs> For the longest of years, I was the, the least favorite son-in-law. I think I had the, the depth. I actually, I'm now in first place, in the competition, because uh, it is a competition, <laughs> because I brought Tara and the kids back from Peru to the United States. So I have thrust it into first place, but I was in the bottom 
for several years, especially because of 2006. And it just means that it articulates the, uh, the importance of gathering together, of showing up, of being a family and being present. And I think for the year home for, for 2018, we want to charge this church to show up, to be here, to come to things that we have going on, to participate in the things that we have, to grow in the community. This is our charge and our challenge for this 2018 year because there's something special when the community gathers together. There's something special when all your siblings gather together under one roof and there's something special when we all gather together together. And in fact, there's a, a, a blogger named Glennon Doyle who writes a lot about female uh, you know, moms and you know, uh, marriage and all that. And she has a family rule. And this is her family rule. Our only constant family rule is that everyone has to keep showing up because love is 90% showing up. And in a family dynamic in the word home, in a lot of ways that's true. That showing up is, is 90%. And, uh, and so for this year, that's one of the things that we'd like to, to challenge is, is to be here and to participate in the great things that are going on. And finally, home is the realization of God's presence. You know, this younger and older brother, they are so different, aren't they, in, this, in the parable? So different. I mean, one was probably like a, an artistic guy, one's an engineer. You know, one probably, you know, loved to listen to music, classical music. The other one liked probably heavy metal. Uh, I mean, one was probably uh, really into, uh, you know, this one uh, author. The other person, one, they, they, these are two different brothers. You can see their characteristics uh, based on how they live their life. One's a, a risk taker and one is a, likes to play it safe. But you know what brought them together? What brought them together was the father. That is what was the connecting point. And if you look right now in this amazing church body, I just can't, I mean, there's so many, there's so much diversity here. Where we live, where we've gone to school, what we've done, the languages that we speak. But you know what we have in common? We, as a church family, have in common God, the Father's presence. And that's what it's all about. That is what it is all about, isn't it? This is creating a space for us to interact with the divine. This right here. We are here. We've gotten out of our bed this morning. We've gotten in our car. We've driven here. And it's all about connecting with the divine, connecting with the higher power, God, connecting with the person who created this world. We are creating a space to connect with God. That's why we sing. We don't sing these songs to win a choir concert. There's no, there's no recording label here, you know, wanting to make a CD. We don't do it for our own. We, we sing to connect with the divine. The Lord's Supper. We take it every week because it gives us an opportunity to reflect and connect with God. Listening to me talk. You know, my job is to create a space for you to connect with the divine and to think about these things. That's my job, to connect you with the higher thinking. This is what it's all about, coming here and realizing that we are in God's presence, that there is a God and that God loves us. And that we can participate in his story. Home. Just let it sink in. 
What do you think? Isn't that a beautiful word? Let's live out this in 2018. And let's see what God does. When we live the truths of this parable of the lost son, when we acknowledge that we belong here, that everyone belongs, and when we acknowledge that our presence is important, and when we acknowledge that we are here to connect with the divine, we're going to sing an amazing song that these guys chose uh, without even hearing about what I was talking about. And it's such, a, it's such a perfect fit to this sermon. We are standing on holy ground. And as we sing these words from the depths of our heart, let us reflect as a church body of this word home and what it means. If you are spiritually homeless, if you don't have a church home, just like that homeless son who was wishing to be with his father, I encourage you to find a spiritual home. And in our home, you're welcome. And if this is your home, your spiritual home, it's an honor for me to walk alongside you on this thing called life. And as we stand and sing this song, put the words on there, Billy, because I just want to read it one more time here. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. We are acknowledging that despite our differences, despite our, our age difference, our, our age gaps, or our income gaps, or where we went to school, or this and that, that we are connected by the Father, by God. There will be elders on the sides. If you have any prayer requests, they will be there ready to pray with you. I will be here at the front. But let's stand together as a church home, as a family, and sing these amazing words. <laughs>